for your love. Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. No more. For your love. Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. No more. For your love. You are listening to the Jack Halford Podcast. This is episode 36. Today is the... Well, it will be the 11th of February 2024 when this is out. The Day of Doom. Today is a good day. I've been thinking about good things. I'm making paintings that um, are about not losing yourself and making things that move you and that are from the heart. Rather than trying to, th- I'm never really thinking about what other people like when I'm making work. Sometimes I'm making work that I want to give to someone. But in it's a sort of like a romantic sense or is a nice gesture to make someone feel better, not to get anything from them, just to hopefully cheer them up or make them realize something. Like I made one. A drawing earlier that just said love thyself and I want to give that to someone who I think we all forget that we should love ourselves we often have a lot of negative self-talk we try and tell other people that they need to love themselves and then we forget to tell it to ourselves so when I was making it I was like maybe I'm making it for myself really but it's a nice thing to give to someone it's a nice thing to give to someone also shows that you're not trying to change them. I think that it's good to be authentic and to really um, be yourself around people. Else you're just pretending something you're not and then you are losing yourself, which is what this painting is about. It is about losing yourself in the pursuit of another person or something that you want like uh, lots of money or lots of sex or like wanting people to like you and then you change yourself and then like who am I blah 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 this is something like that I think we all did it at some point in our lives and it's not very healthy and then you've got to realise don't do that. So yeah. That is what I am doing today. And I wrote something down earlier. It said that insecurity is only a hindrance when it keeps you from sharing what is in your heart. I like that. Uh, I think it's sort of a paraphrase from Rick Rubin book, like his book with a circle on. So again, insecurity is only a hindrance 
when it keeps you from sharing what is in your heart. So you might hold back because you're trying to be cool or trying to be something you're not. And that's not good because you have an insecurity. You're like, I'm this, you're not that. Be yourself. Because we're all going to die. So you think about it, we're all going to die. So don't hold back your feelings. Don't hold back. Because you need to know whether someone could even um, deal with your feelings. And if they can't, then they're probably not the right person. Some people are more intense than others. But some people like that intensity and some people don't. And they're not ready for you or that. I don't know. Something like this. I don't think about, often thinking about stuff like that. And also today, just thinking about what I love to do, which is making stuff and expressing myself. And I'm enjoying it more because I've been working, still kind of in a creative role, but all around the country, away from home. And that's kind of, you know, it's a necessity. You need money to live, but also kind of... Um, can get you down a bit being away on the road being in hotel rooms by yourself I've been very very low and I think it's just getting used to the change it could be fine it's a transitional period into something that's going to be bringing me an abundance and I'm working with all the people I'm working with, all these different institutions and companies, charities, that I'm, well, two of them at the minute, all really good people that run them. They pay invoices on time. They're nice, they care. They're like politically aware and, and all this kind of good stuff is, is pretty sick. It's not like a corporate crappy job where they don't care about people they care about people you are working for them yeah but there's a mutual respect there's an interest in who you are as a person um, and that's nice maybe also kind of makes you think that then you have like a responsibility to them or that there's an expectation so maybe that's not good because I don't want to become attached to a job because this is my job and wow that's exciting to put an exhibition opening on Valentine's Day which hopefully will go well good opportunity to meet other painters tackling similar subject matter to me sort of um, tough subjects I want to tackle the things that everyone puts off. The, the sort of the things that people put off and they don't think about until it's too late. And when it's bubbling up and it gets really uncomfortable, I want people to deal with their shit. That's what I'm trying to do. C create work that um, gets people thinking, oh, maybe I should deal with uh, deal with that thing, that niggling thing in the back of my mind, um, and then you'll be, 
able to function better. Maybe not happier, but you know, able to function, have a bit of clarity. Because you're like, oh, that's why I feel like that. It's this thing that it's not processed. So that hopefully we can help people process things or realize something about themselves they've not thought about for a bit. Yeah, boy. Life is hard. Life is hard, man. Life is hard. Life is hard. We don't have to be. We make it hard. We make life becomes hard when you forget who you are, forget why you're doing what you're doing, and like you feel like you've not got a purpose and become apathetic and use bad things, self-destructive things as a crutch. So we've got to, everyone that's listening to this, just remember, we, that's why we do our healthy habits and try and keep up a good routine and sleep and diet, exercise, look after the self. If you don't look after the self, you can't care for other people. You're going to get in your head too much about other people and what they think of you rather than just doing what makes you feel good and what builds you up and makes you strong. If you don't do that, you're going to be fucked in the head. We're all fucked in the head. We're all continually. We're all fucked. We're all fucked in the head. Everyone is fucked in the head. <laughs> Everyone is fucked in the head. Everybody is fucked in the head. Everybody is fucked in the head. That's a nice thing to say. Yeah, boy. So for this one, I kind of wrote down, don't lose yourself. Make things that move you or make art that moves you. And then I just put like at the end, love yourself or something like that. So it's kind of like, a, you know, a bit oh, lovey-dovey, self-helpy, but nah. Oh, it's just, if I, I feel like if I write that down and then I'm then using that to create a story or a narrative, I'm trying to say those things without saying those things. That's what painting is for me. Painting is trying to say something you can't really say with words. I started with those words, but it's deeper than that. Like, uh, I don't know. The expression of something that can't be expressed in words, that's what art's for. Even though some art uses oral, whatever language. Um, sometimes you need to sing rather than to just write it down. It doesn't make sense, but when you're singing it and there's a guitar at the... Uh, going as well they're like oh that's that makes me feel this kind of way good bad ugly ugly painting is fun 
painting is good. I like to paint. Painting is good. And also trying to make a painting about the fear of a parent dying, the fear of realizing you're alone in this world and that's hard to deal with and you don't really realize that until one of your parents dies and then it's like oh this is how it's gonna be that's freaky that's hard to deal with which is why everyone needs to work hard and do things that are difficult and put yourself through adversity by doing things that are hard and challenging yourself if you're not challenged if you're not working out if you're not you know doing a degree or really like fucking doing something difficult that's a challenge when something hard comes along it's going to be harder to deal with so think about creating hurt and suck in your life a good way is running Running is fucking horrible when you first start doing that. Then you get used to it. So you've got to make it tougher. So what I've been doing recently is like, oh, it's raining outside. Go for a run <laughs> in the rain. I run in whatever weather anyway because I'm pretty disciplined. Um, yeah, like yesterday, worked out the legs, squats, you know, everything. And then I did a run. And then in the evening, I did yoga. And yoga's really good. Um, not just because it's it can be difficult, but also because it can ground you and bring yourself back to the self. There's a lot of breathing. And I think that having some kind of practice like that, that's like mindful, is really good to make you feel good and balanced and you know, especially at the end of the week when you might be a bit overwhelmed with all the work that you've been doing because everyone's working a lot for other people especially and it can get you down because you're like, oh, I'm working this hard but I've really not got that much to show for it that's like the majority of people but you're alive so that's cool. We, we work really hard to get to like the place where we want to be and then we die. So you have to enjoy the process because if you don't enjoy the process then you're just thinking about the outcome and that's when a lot of people will become apathetic. Which is also why you shouldn't be thinking about the outcome if you're like or trying to pursue someone. You should rather be trying to see if you like them and um, chill I keep saying to myself be cool fool be cool fool I think it's like a Biggie Smalls quote from a song be cool fool you are a fool if you're not cool people stress when they don't need to be stressed and then they pretend they're something they're not don't do that be who you are, because you might fucking die tomorrow. Tomorrow is never guaranteed. That, yeah. Yup, Rooney.
God, what a disgusting colour that I've just made on there. So I'm starting with primary colours. I've got red, I've got blue, I've got yellow, and then I've just made this awful purple that actually maybe is actually quite nice. And I'll be layering up because I kind of want it to be a bit more opaque. You can see a lot of the white coming through, which I'm not a fan of. Um, but I think sometimes you have to just... I'm just putting marks down to start with to see if I can find anything interesting in the uh, in the artwork and then I'm going to paint whatever I see does that make any sense start with an action and then it the work just makes itself basically if you don't start painting the painting will never get done so you just paint and then the painting just happens and then it's done. You don't think about it. If you plan too much, then it doesn't happen and it's sort of shit. So, that's how I do it. Planning is the anti-art. Art doesn't require planning. It, it requires an open mind and a willingness to make mistakes and go with it. There's no such thing as a mistake, really. They're just happy accidents. <laughs> Bob Ross. Bob Ross. There's no such thing as a mistake. They're just happy accidents. Good mentality to have. If you don't fail, you'll never learn. The most successful people in the world are the biggest failures that's what a lot of people say because they tried and then they failed and then they learned from that and they tried again and they failed and they learned from that and then it got better every time until it was like super good but then they're always continually tweaking and thinking how could I make it better how could I tweak that how could I tweak this and that's brilliant but you've got to win you've got to pat yourself on the back sometimes so because you're like oh I did well there actually celebrate good times don't just be like, oh, I've got to get to this place and then I can celebrate. Like It's a weekend. Celebrate the fact that you've done good work this week. And, you know, treat yourself. Well, if you, you know, we're too hard on ourselves. It's not good. It's not good. It's not good to be hard on yourself. It's not good to be hard on yourself. It's good to be honest, not delusional, uh, responsible, have accountability. But not being hard on yourself is just saying, you know, look, we're all human. So, yeah, we all shit, piss, bleed. We all fart and we're all imperfect a little bit. We've all got weird stuff going on with our teeth unless we've been to Turkey. Um, we've all got, you know, a spot here, a spot there, you know, stretch mark under there or 
something fucking weird going on. Rolling perfect. We fixate on things that we don't want to fixate on. We shouldn't be fixating on, but we do. Um, which can lead to, you know, feelings of like a lack of self-worth. Don't feel like that. It's illogical. It's stupid. It's irrational. You know. Oh, this thing makes me worthless. Bollocks. It doesn't matter what you look like. It's all about how how um, how you treat people, yeah, and how you present yourself. You know, you're a lot smarter and more capable than you think, and. It's not about having an ego or being arrogant. It's just about being self-aware enough to say, no, actually I am capable and I can do these things. And that's what people respect. They don't respect the fact that you look a certain way or this, that, or the other. They're like, they respect that you can do a job, that you've got a talent, or that you just treat people well. And they like being around you because you build them up and give them good energy instead of negative energy. When someone's nice and they have a good personality and they're nice to be around, they're way, like, they're so much more attractive. Like, it doesn't matter what they look like. You, you want to be around them. You know what I mean? Love is blind. And deaf. <laughs> it's, it's deaf when you're drunk in a club and you're trying to chat up a bird. <laughs> You're not listening to a word she says. You're just like, I love you. <laughs> what we did yesterday at yoga at the end was do a nice big om. Apparently we do the om because in yoga or whatever, they believe that the world started with like the vibration of Om. I like that. You know what else? Doing all these weird things feels silly and I used to be a bit like, yeah, why do people do that? But it's cool to be, you know, doing that, that kind of thing. It's nice. It's nice to be chilled out and relaxed. It's good to be like, yeah, but you need both. You need to be feeling like that you could take someone, but also being calm enough not to get wound up at someone and actually fucking, it's better to, to when, when you're confronted with anger and intensity and someone's like ready to fucking go, you've got to be able to calm them down by asking, them if they're okay and getting them to sit down and have a cup of tea not telling them to calm down but just sort of like you're right like come over here whatever and like I think I'm quite able to do that because I'm used to being around like uh nutcases so I'm one a little bit so I'm able to calm people down when they're in a state of like when they're like high all you have to do is just respect them um, they've got a lot going on 
a lot of people have got a lot going on and they're not taking care of themselves properly and they've got this built up like shit which is why as I said we all need to take care of ourselves before we can be of any use to anyone else else we're just trying to else we're just trying to get like a validation from someone else but you, like you need to validate yourself kind of thing self-validation does that make any sense self-validation self-validation is an important skill to have <laughs> yeah I think self-validation self-actualization what is that words I'm saying words without knowing what they mean a lot of people do this it's okay sometimes you use a word and you don't really know what it means but it sounds like the right word to use and then it is and then you look it up and you're like we're all a bit smarter than we think because we hear things and that's how language works you don't we don't really know any there's all these just sounds and then I could I can make my dog happy or sad just by changing the tone of what I'm, I could be saying cheese and then he's like oh it's oh, I could say cheese it's like Ew. you know it's amazing I think people are like that too it's how you present something can make people feel really good and excited like I've been working with kids recently and you can get them excited about anything we just like get a big one of these big sticks out and they're like wow but you could you could like you know you could also make them feel shit by telling them off sometimes you need to tell them off and they get upset but they need to be told when they're doing something wrong so that when they're older they don't do that because no one's going to respect them because they don't have any self-control, self-discipline. You need self-discipline. People need to be told when they're doing something wrong in order for them to not do it again. But, you know, I mean, I get defensive. We all get defensive. We get defensive because we don't want to do stuff wrong. But we're gonna, it's inevitable because we're imperfect. And it's okay, I think, to be imperfect is to be human. Yeah. I'll tell you what's uh, good. Pick this off, pick this up off the shelf earlier on. And um, it's called Art as Therapy by Alain de Botton and John Armstrong. And it had a beautiful little bit about... Richard Long on patience and you know he was um, they were talking about patience in the 
It says, Long is not trying to convince us, but seeks to keep an obvious but much neglected truth at the front of our minds, that good things have banal ingredients. We cannot internalize this enough. We have to renew the recognition of this dreary fact every day of our lives until it becomes entirely habitual. I love it, you know. Good things have banal ingredients. So, your daily habits, getting up early, having some porridge, looking at what you've got to do today, I've got to do this and that, the other, going to the gym, going for a walk, taking your vitamins, all this very boring, very, very, very boring. You're not outside smoking a joint, having a coffee, making yourself wah. No, you're just like doing the boring things that actually will help you to feel good and at the right level throughout the day. Um, and, and then it also says this, the work is a love lesson. It preaches a quality central to the realistic maintenance and growth of love. The relationships depend upon patience. We have to forego an immediate satisfaction, winning an argument, making the other person feel guilty, getting our own way, because these foregoings are the drops of water that multiplied and accumulated will enable a couple to complete their pilgrimage. Patience. Taking things slow, listening to what people say, and respecting what they say and not taking it personally um, and building up resentment just when you feel uncomfortable when someone does something that you don't like if you don't tell them that will just bubble into something but if you tell them they might feel a bit oh my time oh, I thought I've done something wrong but it's good that you tell them because then they won't do it again it's not telling them off they're not wrong they've just um, it's just like a mismatch and you have to tell someone and it's hard sometimes you don't know what it is you need to tell them sometimes you don't know what you're feeling but if you start talking about it then you can come to a resolution more quickly than you would if you kept it bottled up and then it turns into some kind of resentment you have an argument and then it just implodes explodes and you're like ah, ah. let's talk honesty is hard sometimes but it's the best thing um, and it also talks about uh, curiosity and it's using Leonardo da Vinci as an example here and it's um, very good within every relationship is the fear that we will be misunderstood and imagined by our lover rather than properly investigated an imagined idea of who the other person is who you are it's not good the fear of not being understood I don't like that you want someone to like you to not like you to know who you are but it requires you to be vulnerable it requires the other person to be vulnerable to really get to know someone and that's hard because when you first meet someone you sort of like hold stuff back and so it's difficult especially with social media like a lot of people present this false idea of themselves and then maybe they can start to believe that's who they are but uh, it's bollocks you've got to get to know the real person behind the mask that you put up to the world 
to protect yourself. But that's it's all. It's a load of but as I said earlier, we're all full of shit. We're all, we're all shit. We all bleed. We all sneeze and we're all ugly at home and stupid and silly and make mistakes and f slip over on the street and make a fool of ourselves. We all do it and we're all a bunch of idiots and that's what makes us, us not, you know, posing with like your best outfit on in fucking in a palace or whatever, I don't know. Because you're trying to be all like, oh, look at me. But no, that's not you, is it? You're, you're you, you're worse. <laughs> oh, yeah, maybe. We're all kind of, an, we're an amalgamation of different people. You, you, you're different, per, you're a different person when you're at a supermarket, rushing, not really in the moment, than who you are with your grandma, who you are with a lover, who you are with your mum, who you are when you're, on your own, um, you react differently around different people because you're hiding, hide, maybe hiding different parts of yourself. Then, then when you're alone, you feel everything, and yeah. So, what well, a good thing to do is to write down how you're feeling and when you're feeling, where you are when you're feeling certain things, and trying to together this weird jigsaw puzzle of this strange experience of life and then you might start to understand how to function better I don't know I'm saying all this stuff because I've, I've been in like today on the on the way into town on the way to the studio I've been doing all this work and the reason I'm doing it is so that I can have more autonomy and freedom and be able to paint and sustain this practice of painting and buy nice food and have a nice flat and buy and maybe a pickup truck but I'm also maybe it's a self-destructive thing in my mind where I'm like ah I really want to just quit all of that and just do the painting which I've been doing for 10 years and it's starting to pay off but I need extra money now it's a cost of living crisis so I need to take up this extra work um, and I'm sure I could make this work if I did it full time but the fact of the matter is I'm going to gain a lot of experience in not just the type of work I'm doing, but also just being able to schedule life well. And that's a necessity if I ever want to have, I want to have kids one day. And to be able to schedule time tightly is very important. And to be able to deal with things when they go wrong, which I'm sure they're going to in the next few months, because there's hundreds of miles of driving and you never know what's going to happen but to be able to deal with stuff when it goes wrong it can help me no, you know no bounds in in the future because when you know i want to be able to deal with crisis in in a calm manner you know no oh, no you know like I, some, I i hit someone's wing mirror the other day i was you know it was after after work i was like oh, i want to get back to the I hit them and I pulled I was I was speeding off but just to go on the other side of the road and then he parked in front of me and then I went I'm, I'm sorry is everything alright he looked at it and he was like yeah and I was like are you sure yeah nice keep it calm um some people they could get really like ah. but 
I think whenever something goes wrong for me, I'm just like, pull it down. Everything's going to be all right. It takes practice. This book is fantastic. I'm going to read the whole thing. I picked it up today off the shelf, and that was like the first page I opened up. The spirit of coping well sleeps seeps deeply into the book. The design of the kitchen table, blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. Blib, blib, blib. Sensuality is unembarrassed enjoyment of touch and movement. Oh. It's Valentine's Day next Wednesday. No reason should all be thinking about sensuality. Sensuality is unembarrassed enjoyment of touch and movement. Letting go and letting it happen. Being alright with it and being alright with who you are with someone else. Letting go, it's good. I like it. It would be nice to suppose that this comes easily to us, but the fact is that sensual ease, the delights of swaying one's hips to music, of caressing and being stroked, can be hard to find as a relationship develops. We become awkward because we need to maintain our self-respect and get worried that we will appear ridiculous or leave ourselves vulnerable to rejection. Will the other person want to stroke us back? If we get up and dance, will our movements be fluid and enticing, or shamefully disjointed and inept? But if you don't, if you don't, you know, get up and dance, then you just like, then like the if you like, it's like when you're at a gig and you're not like, like getting into it. If you're not getting into it then you just become even more uptight and you can feel this like uptightness like making you even more uptight and then you start thinking oh god i can't start bopping now because i've been standing still the whole time but if you start being all loosey-goosey at the start that's why people drink makes it easier i don't drink anymore so i don't think it's good not for my head um but that's why people drink because it can help them loosen up a bit and then they're not really thinking about um, if they're looking silly or not. It's great to be silly. It's good to be silly, especially collective silliness is great. You know, dancing, there's no right or wrong way to do it. It's just like rhythm. Everyone has rhythm. Everyone has rhythm. Some people think they have two left feet, but they've just not found their two right feet. They have. You know what I mean? Alternatively, it can simply feel hard to make the transition from the other themes of a relationship, the need to persuade one's partner to change their attitude to the distribution of domestic chores to agree that children's school has a series of failings or to manage a tendency to get irritated. Sensuality is in the hinterland of sex and it is enticing and threatening because of this connection. One could imagine a couple feeling safe enough in this house to be sexually adventurous in a way that has felt impossible for years. The passage from where they are now to the more risky, intense and dramatic element of the sexuality and the return to the rest of life is here made simpler. It is a temple of erotic hope that one can be sexually adventurous and a good person and have a good relationship at the same time. What does that say? 
It is a temple to erotic hope that one can be sexually adventurous and a good person and have a good relationship at the same time. I think you can do all those things. It just requires openness. It requires openness and self-care. If you're taking care of yourself, you're going to be a good person. If you're going to be a good person, you're going to have a good relationship because you're open and you're honest. And if you're open and you're honest, that person trusts you and then you can both let go and be sensual and unembarrassed about naked bodies being together and have really, really good sex. Erotic hope. The temple of erotic hope. That's nice. Ne Nymea's house, I don't know how to say that, is kind because it does not pretend that we find this an easy equation. Our culture makes us our culture makes us ashamed of not being able to pull it off. The building takes seriously the fact that we find it difficult and does it all and does all it can help and does all it can to help us out. Mm. Nice talking about house. Cassidy Cano's sensuality. I think we need that. I think we need sensuality. I think we need intimacy. And I think we all deserve it and we can all have it. We just have to be open to it. Not be too uptight. This is fantastic. It's really good. Really nice little, really nice little bits and bobs in here. These are all lovey-dovey bits. This whole yeah, it's a whole bit about love. Yeah. Can we get better at love? It's like a self-help thing, isn't it really? It's not. It's, it's, it's almost just reminding us about things we already know, these common sense things that we forget because we get all dazed and confused. There was no fog in London until Whistler started painting it. That's what Oscar Wilde says. There was no fog in London until Whistler started painting it. Wilde did not mean that people have failed to glimpse the thick vapours that can drift over the water flowing through the English capital. His point was just that the experience of seeing the fog was not considered interesting or exciting until an artist raised its status for his talent. And I tell you what, this reminds me of when I was in Newcastle. After work, I went to, or staying in Newcastle for work, and I went to force myself to go to the beach because I hate being in hotel rooms by myself twiddling my thumbs so I went to the beach and I just started taking little videos and photos of everything and really looking at everything and I really enjoyed just looking at the colours and everything and then on the drive home I really appreciated um, all of the lights in the dark night sky and all of the different colours and it was really inspiring and um, and I had good music on like Oasis uh, and everything was quite cinematic. I think often we get so in our heads that we're not in the moment and we don't appreciate everything that's around us and this world is really quite beautiful and sometimes it takes 
an artist to point something out for us to actually look at that thing and then think, oh wow, yeah. I used to go to school in the Peak District and sometimes you get a beautiful fog over the Derwent. Like one of the most amazing, amazing sights. We get like a cloud uh, in between two hills or something and all of these things we should be appreciating you know the richness of velvet against skin the grandeur of modern industry or the resonance of artfully arranged stones in the landscape take a quiet afternoon with clouds scuttling over our heads on a river near Amsterdam it is not that the beholder would never have felt the appeal of such a scene before alighting on whatever. He or she may from time to time have a tentative or fleeting sense, but would have then forgotten or ignored it. So again, just how art can help us appreciate what's around us. And I guess what I'm trying to do is sort of a non-medical way of helping people to deal with life crap. Uh, just about bringing yourself back out your head being like right oh, fix that thing put that jigsaw piece where it's supposed to be and then you can be like oh yeah cool <laughs> yeah yeah pictures as sensitive as to important aspects of loving someone need not be obviously romantic they can just be they can just foreground a state of mind that helps us to remember and stay sensitive to part of what love is about, given how easily we can be bored in a relationship and long for what is glamorous and new. A picture by Peter de Hooch of a courtyard in Delft might be a useful guide to strengthening our capacity for enduring mature love because it studies a quiet, modest moment with deep appreciation. Look, for instance, at the old door in the wall on the right or at the angled, amended wooden support holding up the trestles. These are far more, these are far from perfect. If there was more money around, they might have been replaced with something more elegant. It is certainly not an image of material deprivation, though. It focuses in, one might say, on the art of making do. They can't get a new door, but the courtyard can be kept clean. And the hooch rather likes the old door. The distempered bricks and the warped boards of the compost bin. They are not actually ugly, just at odds with the demand that everything should be pristine. That can be like a marriage after a few decades. The hooch knows the hooch knows how to shape our responses and expectations of love in ways that counteract some of the less good models we have around it. Yeah. Like, you know. Again, like I was saying earlier. No one is perfect. We all have shit and piss in us and we all bleed. We make do with what we've got and we look after what we've got even when we've got very little. So that, you know, it's like, you may, we used to, I used to live on a council estate when I was younger and my dad, he blocked, uh, did lovely bricks in the front garden, made a lovely fence. We had the cleanest garden and house on the street it's about taking pride with what you have 
and we made that house really nice and they sold it and we moved to a nice area we're working hard discipline you know selflessness that's what it is parenting is like you know people say it's selfish people say it's selfless i think it's i think it's, it's good good parenting is selfless because you're putting it children and your wife first and you're providing for them and it's a beautiful thing uh, look at looking after things and making do and being frugal and living within your means and having appreciation for you having gratefulness that's an important skill and uh, life skill um and that and that painting is beautiful. Um, mm, that's not the painting they're talking about. I don't think. No, it might be. Pisano. <sighs> But love is like, love is, love is everything, isn't it, really? It's not nice, it's not ugly, it's like everything. There's not one way of describing it. It's not even a wave, it's three-dimensional, it's four-dimensional, it's fifth-dimensional. It's like everything all at once, all the time. Um, but when it's quiet lovely then even when it's heated lovely beautiful you know maybe this one this podcast is because it's valentine's day next week maybe i'm thinking about the state of the world is in now all this crap going on the world's always in a state of unease but if we round ourselves and bring ourselves back down and calm down, you know, and have gratefulness and self-love, be grateful. And, yeah, I know. We'll feel better. We'll feel good. Everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be groovy. We often say that a work of art was made with love. This offers us a valuable insight, not just into certain works of art, but into the nature of love itself. The two vases of flowers at the bottom of Hugo van der's goes the adoration of the shepherds are only a tiny part of what is a much larger work. But he's devoted an immense care to the depiction of each flower and leaf. Every petal has seemed to him to deserve an individual recognition. That's nice. I mean, yeah, it's attention to detail. It's like cooking for people. I love cooking for people, and I think cooking for people is a great way of showing that you love someone or that you care about someone. And when I cook someone else, I always make sure that the plate is nice and it looks nice. I always give a person the nicest looking thing if I'm making them pancakes in the morning, give them the, the nicest looking ones, a little bit of fruit on the top, yogurt or 
uh, honey, maple syrup, doing it in a nice way and it's just a nice way of doing it. Gift wrapping, the way you, like, you're presenting some, something, someone, look at this, in painting attention to detail the same thing. Attention to detail definitely is, is, is love, isn't it? Being motivated by kindly in interest, which is how being love feels. It is as though he has asked each flower, what is your unique character? I want to know you as you really are, rather than as a passing impression. Yeah. Great book, isn't it? Great book. Right. Yeah, that's why I like photography because you really are click and then you can look at that frozen moment in time for a good few minutes and notice things in it. But when we're walking past or driving past something, everything becomes insignificant and we don't appreciate it. That's why walking in nature is so good because we can go really slow and amble across a vast landscape and really appreciate how big the world is and how small we are in it and appreciate every little thing every blade of grass every cloud in the sky and all the smiling people saying hello when they walk past you because everyone's having a good time because they're in nature this attitude towards a flower is moving because it rehearses in a minor but vivid way the kind of attention that we long to receive from and which we hope to be able to give another human being. Ah, nice. Isn't that nice? I will pay attention to the whole of you. Hugo van der Goes, The Adoration of the Shepherds. The whole of you. The whole of you. There's the... There's the painting they were talking about. Different panels. And then you've got this sort of um, two vases at the bottom, which are like there. If you're watching on video, this is going to be uploaded on YouTube uh, as well as the other platforms. But go and have a look at the Adoration of the Shepherds. Very, very beautiful painting. And I don't usually look at paintings like this. I'm more looking at the abstracts and the colourful figurative paintings of Chigal and Ken Kiff and I also like Frank Bowling I think is very good but I like Richard Long too who we already talked about in here when we were talking about patience and the importance of it God you know beautiful beautiful stuff um and nature <clears throat> the seven functions of art remembering hope sorrow rebalancing self-understanding now that sounds rather good self-understanding
self-understanding. <laughs> it talks about self-understanding. I'm trying to uh, trying to find that bit now in this book because I think that's important. So I want to talk about that and tell you what, I think reading books on a podcast may be not good copyright reasons, but I'm not earning any money from this. I have no sponsors. I don't really care. I'm all learning something and you may want to buy this because, you know, I suppose that's good. We should all be sharing information. I think the sharing of information freely is what the internet was originally made for. It was kind of this like big, radical, cool thing where we all share information and we can all help other people know more, become smarter and more aware of everything that's going on so that we can relate better and everything's going to be a utopia. I suppose it was created as a kind of utopia, a digital utopia, virtual utopia. Self-understanding. We are not transparent to ourselves. We have intuitions, suspicions, hunches, vague musings and strangely mixed emotions, all of which, all of which, resist a simple definition. We have moods, but we don't really know them. Then, from time to time, we encounter works of art that seem to latch onto something we have felt but never recognised clearly before. That's exactly what I'm trying to fucking do. I want people to latch onto that and think, oh, I've not dealt with that. And normally it's a song, but it can be done with visual art too, especially in cinema, but I'm trying to do it with the static painting medium. Um, medium or media. Alexander Pope identified a central function of poetry as taking thoughts we experience as half-formed and giving them clear expression. What was often thought was ne'er well expressed. In other words, a fugitive and elusive part of our own thinking, our own experience is taken up, edited and returned to us better than it was before so that we feel at last that we know ourselves more clearly. Imagine you're drawn by the sight of a box by Joseph Cornell. Why the strange feeling of recognition? What part of oneself is like this box? So it's at Cornell, um, what's his name again? Bloody hell. Joseph Cornell made like these strange boxes out of like, like little shelving units with lots of different elements in, like maybe a doll's head, uh, like found objects, object trouvé, they call it in French, that's the word they use, uh, found objects. So it could be any little bit of a rubber, little rock, um, kind of to. I often think artwork like that is to, it's not about the artwork itself, it's about where would that be? What environment would that be in? So maybe it could help you to remember part of your childhood. And I often think of Joseph Cornell's artwork as a memory. Um, because I think memories are, are, are fragmented and his work's kind of like, taking fragments of different things and putting them together and that's how memories are they're not linear 
Why the strange feeling of recognition? What part of oneself is like this box, despite the overt visual reference to Bia, the daughter of the Duke of Florence, Cosimo, who died when she was only six? One is not being invited by Cornell to discover an inner princess. Rather, his box presents as with a model of how one might coordinate the diverse elements of a single identity. The box says, I am made of a web of relationships, the iconic birds, ladder, flowers, sundial, maps and fox are emblems with special references to Beer's experience or personality because we're all am an amalgamation of different experiences we are not one singularity but rather we were brought up we fell and scraped our knee when we were five someone laughed at that and then we started laughing or crying and then we ran to the nurse's office and she put a plaster on and and then maybe a girl went past and said, oh, are you right? Uh, and then you had some ice cream that night. Um, and then a year later, you uh, asked someone out and had your first kiss. And you broke up a couple of months afterwards. You uh, got in a car crash, uh, got some whiplash, had to go to the hospital. Maybe something nice happened a few months after that. But it's like good, bad, good, bad, good, bad, everything lead up to the moment and the way you respond to different things and creates the way that we are then that's why we have to sometimes we get overwhelmed because it's bottled stuff up and we don't have to deal with stuff if you read stuff like this and you can express yourself like this and you can talk and communicate and open up and you'll be better off we can't tell what they are but we respond to the idea of a complex set of symbols that make up a diagram of life. The box contains a concentrated archive of the self. I think it would be good if we all started making little Cornell boxes to make a little archive of the self. I think that would be kind, kind of nice. I suppose it's what a journal is or a scrapbook. Here, something as fluid and indistinct as a personal identity can be presented in a manageable and usable way. It's not so much that one identifies with everything in this particular box as with the nature of its underlying project. Ideally, there would be an artist like Cornell, who died in 72, who could make a box for each of us so that we might come to know ourselves better and have a tool with which to make ourselves better known to others. Here, this is who I am. These, these are my weaknesses, these are my strengths. This is that time I fell over off my bike when I was five and I cried in front of a girl that I liked. Oh, this is me. Are you like me? Do you want to be my friend? I don't know if it would be useful to have boxes like like he's saying in here. I think it's good to keep some stuff, you know, away from certain people. Um, but most of the time it's good to be an open book because then people know who you are and they can decide whether they want to be in your company or not some people fucking latch onto you anyway even if they don't really like you that's not cool that's something within them they're lonely and they're desperate and you're not the right person to be around them if they don't really like you uh, or you don't really like them I don't know but yeah that's why it's best if everyone's just their authentic selves.
so there's less problems, but there's always going to be problems, isn't there? Contemplating Cy Twombly's dark, scratchy, suggestive surface is rather like looking in a mirror in which you notice an aspect of your appearance you had not paid much attention to before, except that what's at stake here is not a row of molars, as a type of tooth, but your uh, inner experience. There are moods or states of the mind or soul that are perplexingly elusive. One has them often but can't isolate or examine them. Twombly's work is like a specially designed mirror of a part of our inner lives deliberately constructed to draw attention to it and make it clearer and easier to identify. It homes in on what it's like when you almost know what you think about something, but not quite. It picturalizes picturalizes a moment in reflective life suggestive of ambition and confusion the thin light marks on the surface might be rubbed out words chalked on a blackboard the smudges might be clouds through which we glimpse distant stars whatever they are what matters is that we don't get to see them precisely so we are held in the moment of being on the cusp of something we are about to understand but have not yet understood this moment is important because it generally does not live up to its promise. We abandon the process of reflection, not much of a decision about the personal meaning of love, justice or success is archived, and we move on to something else. Looking at Twombly's painting assists us in a crucial thought, the part of me that wonders about important questions and then gets confused and has not had enough recognition. I have not taken proper care of it. But now I see this part of myself reflected in the mirror of art. Now I can make more of it. But now I see this part of myself reflected in the mirror of art. Now I can make more of it. Art is made so that we can look at it. And we get mirrored back a part of ourselves sometimes. I feel like art, I mean I'm sure someone else said this. Probably a different artist like Picasso or whatever said this. But art is not really finished until the person looking at it is creating some kind of interpretation it's strange that it's a strange thought that personal identity and qualities of mind and character can be discovered not only in people but also in objects landscapes jars or boxes if this seems a bit odd it's because we have by and large emptied the visual realm of personal character yet when we feel a kinship with an object, kinship with an object, it is because the values we sense that it carries are clearer in that they actually uh, they. It's it, uh, sorry. If this seems a bit odd, it's because we have by and large emptied the visual realm of personal character. Yet we feel a kinship with an object. It is because the values we sense that it carries are clearer in it than they usually are in our minds. Art builds up self-knowledge and is an excellent way of communicating the resulting fruit to other people. Getting others to share our experiences is notoriously difficult. Words can feel clumsy. I'm always saying this, I said this earlier. You can't use words to describe emotions and feelings, it's difficult, they're abstract things, they don't really exist, they're like, ooh, invisible. Consider trying to describe a walk alongside a lake on a mild afternoon without the aid of an image. Difficult. Without an image, like I'm saying here. 
unassuming depiction of an afternoon in a suburb of Copenhagen latches on just those aspects of experience that are so hard to verbalize in this um, Christian Kopke's uh, thing. Yeah, all right. The light in the picture is tremendously meaningful. Even though it's difficult to say what the meaning is, one wants to point to the picture and say, when the light is like this, I feel like that. Yeah. Go out on a nice day or a shit day and just be, yeah, and feel, be in the moment. That's what existing is about. You've got to exist, exist, existing, just existing sometimes. That's what mindfulness is, just existing, feeling your body in the world. Painting helps you do that. Painting makes you overthink and think about stuff, but also it can make you feel calm and just appreciate everything. That's why looking at art is good, or consuming some kind of art, comedy. Reading a book like this, listening to music and painting, it helps you to appreciate things, even the bad things. You laugh at the bad things after a year, you're like, oh, that's all right. That's actually quite funny now. And you fell over. Life is going on, but there is no drama, no expectation of an outcome, no sense of getting anywhere, rather than this being a condition of boredom or frustration, though it feels exactly right. It is a tranquil. It is tranquil, but not tired. It is immensely peaceful, but not inert. In a strange way, the picture is filled with a sense of delight in existence expressed quietly. It is not the light in itself that is so attractive, rather, it is a condition of the soul in Vince's. The picture captures a part of who one is, a part that isn't particularly verbal. You could point to this image and say, that's what I'm like sometimes, and I wish I were like that more often. <sighs> It could be the beginning of an important friendship if someone, if somebody else understood this too. Yeah. When you meet someone and they like the same music or they're interested in the same car or like they read the same book or something, there's a connection there. Because to like those things, you have to feel a certain way to be able to relate to those things. So you've probably got similar traits, um, similar ways of processing things. You're going to get on. You're going to be able to help each other because when you can relate to someone uh, on a deep level, it's, uh, it's, easy to, it's easy to be vulnerable with them. And then you can be yourself around them. And you need, to, you need that. So it's, it's yeah. It's good. Which is why artists hang out together. Because they're all quite similar. Um, it's why it's good to be in an artist community like I'm in here. You're around people that just get mark making. 
and stuff. An unkind way of analysing our concern with how we decorate our homes is not is that we're simply trying to show off, in other words, to tell people how impressive and successful we are. But there's generally a far more interesting and human process at work within the art of interior decoration. We want to show something off, but we're not merely boasting. We're trying to let others know about our characters in a way that words might not permit. That's why we might, for example, invest in some crockery by the 20th century German architect and designer Richard Reimerschmidt. Pretty cool crockery, to be fair. The enthusiasm of his plates is likely to reveal more than just a desire for our guests to think that we have good taste and enough money to do something about it. Behind the liking for the plates, we initially felt in the shop lay recognition. This is the right crockery for me because it is like my deepest self. Mm. I mean, that reminds me of Fight Club, though when he's looking through the Ikea catalogue and thinking, does this glass really say who I am, blah, blah, blah. I don't know, we should, shouldn't get attached too much to physical things and objects, but also I think that the attachment's okay sometimes to be sentimental about a plate with a chip in it. I'm not chucking that away, I like that. That reminds me of Grandma, she had a similar plate to that. Yeah. I can use such a plate to tell people something important about who I am, about what it is like to be me. Such a statement might seem rather exaggerated, but perhaps it is simply unfamiliar. We are unschooled in taking aesthetic things and repositioning them in terms of our psychological lives. We don't just like art objects, we are also, in the case of certain prized examples, a bit like them. They are the media through which we come to know ourselves and let others know more of what we are really about. I think that's right that how we curate our living spaces can really tell people what we are like. And I think of Tracy Emin's bed. <laughs> I'm thinking about how oh, she was so depressed and in this state of like overwhelm and shit, my life's a bit mad. But then she's like, look at this ugliness, everyone. Does anyone else feel like this? Yeah. Everyone felt like that at some point. I mean, unless they're fucking really weird. I think it's weird if you've not felt like kind of apathy and depression at some point in your life, some sort of deep sadness. Some like, I don't give a shit about myself. I'm going to not tidy up and do this. It's a very like, hor horrible place to be. And a lot of people have been in that position. So you are projecting how you're feeling out into, into the spaces that you occupy on a regular basis. You can make a home lovely and clean, and it makes you feel better. And that, and it's like, like what do they say? Fake it till you make it. Start tidying your fucking room up, and on a regular basis, keep it all nice and have a plant, and start decorating your uh, environments that you regularly in regularly inhabit, and you'll start to feel better, and you'll start to project it a nicer version of yourself and you'll change and you'll start to become more involved in taking care of yourself because that's what that is taking care of your immediate environment that you're regularly in that you inhabit makes it a home and you feel safe within it 
and to let other people in that space, they'll feel safer in it. This man is not crazy. He's taking care of himself. I like him. I want to be with him. I want to be around people like that. And they might start taking care of themselves a bit better as well. Who knows? This book is fucking brilliant. It's great. It's a, I think reading books is great. So it could be a starting point or a catalyst for conversations you have with other people. It can just get you creating a, a sort of line of thought that you can keep thinking about for the next few days and have lovely conversations with other people and makes life nice. It's, uh, it's talking about growth here. Oh, it's quite nice. Great book. Hmm. Hostility to genres of art can grow out of generally distressing experiences. The problem of these negative moments, particularly those we have as children, is that they are at risk of tainting a disproportionate and ultimately unfair expanse of life. And they do so because they have a habit of triggering a variety of defensive behaviours within us. We come across this particularly clearly in relation to art, but it is a cognitive flaw that can poison existence more generally. It can be characterised as an inaccurate, overly jumpy warning system that is much too ready to anticipate danger. It generalises wildly from specific negative events often early ones and uses these to come to global aversions which undermine our ability to think and act effectively and creatively a defensive state a defensive stance makes us makes so many elements feel threatening due to an unfortunate situation or encounter we might for example and just to start the list become unable to have any sympathy sympathy or interest in religion, literature, football, Africa, communal showers, the music of ABBA, upmarket clothes shops, a chat at the school gate with a far richer parent. Our brittle defensive structures lead to an impoverishment. We can't make progress in our lives if we keep generalizing about issues which are at heart particular in nature. We are debilitated when we are too quick to perceive threats when the explosive anxieties of the past make us aggressive towards anything that semi-consciously reminds us of them in the present. We employ a powerful, erroneous, emotional logic. A particular rich person looked down on me and it was wounding experience, therefore rich people in general will look down on me, therefore I loathe them. Therefore a painting of a rich person is not for me. Or oh, the weird girl down the hall said she could see angels and made me feel very awkward, therefore only weird people are interested in angels. This is a picture of a man looking at an angel, therefore it is a weird painting, which I cannot find interesting. I feel like you should be saying that in a really monotone sort of um, uh, voice. Let me try that again. The weird girl down the hall said she could see angels and made me feel very awkward. Therefore, only weird people are interested in angels. This is a picture of a man looking at an angel. Therefore, it is a weird painting, which I cannot find interesting. These generalizations aren't good. Engagement with art is useful. 
because it presents us with a powerful example of the kind of alien material that provokes defensive boredom and fear and allows us time and privacy to learn to deal more strategically with it. An important first step in overcoming defensiveness around art is to become more open about the strangeness that we feel in certain contexts. We shouldn't hate ourselves for it. A lot of art is, after all, the product of worldviews that are radically at odds with our own. Sebastian Ricky believed angelic messengers could bring life-changing instructions to holy people. Sergeant Sitter was convicted convinced that people are not born equal and that some individuals are entitled to rule the earth because of their ancestry. The Chakri people thought their masks would help adolescent boys to understand the sexual and emotional needs of their women. Therefore, an initial negative response, the feeling that the object has nothing to offer, is comprehensible, even reasonable. Beliefs in angelic orders, aristocratic entitlement and magical intervention are at odds with most reasonable views of modern life. Museum curators tend to assume the existence of an audience that broadly already likes the kind of art on display and just needs help with the details of particular work, which is blind to the way in which someone might be deeply resistant to an entire aesthetic category. If you were looking at a picture of St. Bruno with a curator, they might try to help you engage with it by telling you a variety of factual details that this man was the founder of a Carthusian... Monastic order, monastic, monastic order in the 11th century. The sleeping man on the far left is a pictorial reference to the disciples who slept while Jesus was awake the night before the crucifixion. The work was owned in the 18th century by a certain Count Agarotti, and that the skull and wings were particularly well painted in ways that bear comparison with Titan. Such information might be helpful to some, but not to a person who is turned off by, and maybe hostile to, this kind of work in general. Expert knowledge too often presupposes that the viewer is already interested, but has one or two points of detail they would like cleared up. Museum display a lot of religious art, but rarely give much attention to what reaction this is likely to provoke in a larger secular scientifically minded audience. They put up pictures of aristocrats but seem to forget that class differences provoke intense reactions in meritocratic democracies. They organise exhibitions of African art assuming that an invocation, invocation of ancestral deities will be relatively unproblematic. To harbour doubts in these areas can of course feel rather embarrassing. We are socialised never to give voice to ambivalence, so a false assumption is maintained the sensible people, that sensible people are already interested in such things. The taboo can be explained in part because the museum curators are self-selecting category, so immersed in their fields that some of them can't remember what it was like to share the assumptions of an ordinary member of their society, which nowadays usually means someone secular, democratic and unacquainted with magical thinking, unless they have and listen to children. They don't meet anyone who could frankly ask them, with blunt but useful naivety, why do you spend time bothering with African masks or dark pictures of medieval saints? They are not best placed to ask what are. For many people, the urgent and basic questions, like any close-knit professional group that socialises in a specialist world, curators run the risk of forgetting precisely how unusual their interests are.
I think, you know, those type of people are a bit, you know, a lot of people find art galleries and museums intimidating places because of the types of people that run them. Like the curators are often very privileged and not acquainted with normal people and how they act and react to certain things. We need to make these places feel more welcoming. We need people in them, working in them, that are normal people, working class people, so that when people come in, they're greeted by someone like them. And then they go in the space and feel relaxed. But a lot of art galleries, especially white cube ones or ones like, even this one, it's an old uh, warehouse downstairs, can feel intimidating to people. They're not used to spaces like this. They're like, oh, this is a bit cool. This is a bit trendy. It feels a bit pretentious, a bit academic, a bit like high, high art. Not low art, not a cartoon, but it's for everyone, isn't it? Because it's trying to relate to the things inside of us that we all feel. And if we can't all explore these things, then some of us are going to start feeling a bit ill. So we all need to be going into these spaces that should be communal spaces for everyone. Um, that is why it's important to have a diverse range of people running institutions and organisations so that we can create environments where everyone feels welcomed into these spaces so that we can have a society that engages with one another rather than has little ghettos for each type of person. Person, all the people from India living there, all the people from Poland living there, yeah. The English racists living in that village over there. We all come together, all the racists and all the brown people coming together in the same space, looking at the same pictures, saying, oh, you know, I felt a bit sad looking at them. Oh, me too. You know, oh, it'll be all right and everything. Everyone will be holding hands and lovely. Oh, no, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's good. We all need to be reading more. I think that that's a good, good little, good little book. Arts therapy, Alain de Botton, Botton, John Armstrong. It's one of them school of life things. Got a lot of videos on YouTube. It's Alain de Botton. Some people don't like him. I thought he's a bit of a twat, but I actually like his videos in this book. I don't know why I thought he's a twat. Maybe I just got this idea in my head that he was a twat because he speaks a bit. Uh -huh. It's that class thing or whatever when you've got an idea of who certain people are when they act a certain way or when they speak a certain way you're like, oh, I don't like those types of people I don't like them, it makes me feel uncomfortable but as I said earlier, we're all full of shit we all bleed, we all piss and shit you know, we all feel things we all go through adversities it doesn't matter how rich or poor you are we're all going to die. Everyone we know and love is going to die. And that's what connects us. Um, yeah. That's why I paint. So yeah, go and buy that book or have a look at it. I bet you could buy it second hand. Um, go to my website, have a look at my blog. Keep listening to the podcasts. And uh, if, you, uh, if you fancy having a look at some of my paintings, this exhibition called... 
all this raff or something like that is open at um, Blue Shop Gallery in Oval, London on Brixton Road. That's uh, Blue Shop Gallery in Oval, London on Brixton Road. Blue Shop Gallery. B-L-U-E Gallery. No, B-L-U-E Shop Gallery. It's on for about two weeks from the 14th of February. That's the opening night on the 14th, so the 15th of February for like two weeks into, into like the start of March. Make sure you go and have a look. I've got like five paintings in there. There's lots of other work in there. It'll be a good show. All the work's for sale. Yeah. And um, look out for other events and exhibitions I'm doing. There'll be a few this year all around the UK, maybe around the globe. Um, you never know what's going to happen in a year. You never know. I get emails all the time. Stay groovy. Ha, 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 ha.